fam welcome to another episode and today is our year in special and we're going to try and give you a little bit of everything from this past year we've got some amazing clips lined up from some of our favorite guests and i got some thoughts for you heading into this next year but most importantly i am excited for you to be here and whether you are catching this today on new year's eve or you're catching it sometime in the future i want to thank you for being part of the myp fam this was our first year and in 2021 was a, a frankly a really bumpy year probably for a lot of you. And probably like you though, we made it. We did it and we are here. And so that's what I wanna focus on is reminding you that you are in control of your destiny. And if you're listening to this show, you've probably got a message out there that needs to be heard. And so I wanna be in your corner and let you know that it's worth it to keep going. And no matter how you've started, how much you've started, how far you've gone, how far you think you've gone, you're doing something valuable and you're doing something important. So keep going. It's going to pay off. It's just like I tell my kids a lot. It's just about being patient. And unfortunately, we don't always know how long we have to be patient for. But in that process, we can get better. And in that process, we can really learn a lot about ourselves, our audience, the people we love, the audience that we cultivate. And so if things are going great for you, I hope that 2022 is an even bigger year for you. But if you're catching this and things are kind of challenging right now, know that you're not alone. Know that know that things have been tough for almost everybody. So I'm going to get off my soapbox here and we're going to get into these clips. But before I do that, I really want to encourage you to come and find me on Twitter. I'm just loving the conversations that I'm having with all the podcasters on Twitter. And I can't believe that I haven't been spending more time there sooner. So if you are on Twitter, go and find me. It's Hector underscore podcast. Really easy to find me and come send me a message and let me know what you liked about the show and, and let me know what you didn't like about the show. Okay, now let's get into our special. And our first clip is from an interview I did with Arielle Nissenblatt, and she is the founder of the Earbuds Collective newsletter, and she's also a Twitter phenom, so I'd encourage you to go and follow her. But she talks about newsletters and the power of newsletters, and I think that this is something that's going to be a really big player in 2022, because more and more people are looking for podcasts, and they're looking for recommendations, and newsletters is one of the best way to get recommendations. So I think they would be really good for you guys to be able to hear a little bit about what she has to say. And because I think that she is one of the smartest people in the industry as well. So without further ado, let's get into this clip with Ariel Nissenblatt. Yeah, I was listening to, I think his name is Tom Webster. Mm -hmm. Do you know Tom from Edison? And his talk from yep. Podcast Movement, he was talking about how recommendations is still the number one way that people get there find their podcast. And what's interesting about newsletters and the one that you created is this recommender tool. And what I love about the newsletter is that sometimes the shows are like super niche <laughs> and like super, you wouldn't even think that there would be podcasts on these things or on these topics, but people are into them. And I think it says, well, I don't know. What does that, what does that say to you about the nicheness, if you will, of the shows that are out there and the shows that kind of come through yeah. the newsletter? I think that it's great. I think there are books on every single, I say niche, you say niche. I'm going to just say what comes out of my mouth. Um, there are books on everything. People like to say, oh, there's so many podcasts. There are so many books. Like we never, we never stop saying when are, like, when are people going to stop writing books? So let's stop that with podcasts as well. Huh. What a beautiful, <laughs> what a beautiful perspective that I've never encountered that I'm going into. Yeah. So thank you for that. Cause that, that's a really Hell good yeah. point. So get as niche as you that's want, because th there are books on tons of niche topics and there are people who are going to read it. People are into everything. 
There's a subculture for everything. One of my coworkers, Alex, is a reefer. And I don't mean the marijuana smoker explicitly. I mean that he is like really good at growing coral reefs in his garage. And like he's part of this whole community. He's a coral influencer. That's amazing. He's going to start a podcast. He doesn't know what to call it yet, but it's going to be on reefing. And that's awesome. And I'm not going to listen to it per se. Maybe I will because I'm his friend, but there are people, there are hundreds of thousands of people who are into reefing and he's going to be able to get some amazing advertisers and sponsors and partners because there are products that want to reach his audience. And I think that's beautiful. But to go back to newsletters, I think what has worked for me so well is my drive for consistency. I have encountered competitors over the years for this newsletter who, you know, at times some have been more directly competitive than others. One newsletter emerged, I want to say four years ago, that was also sending, that was having one curator pick five podcast episodes per week. It was not so much on a theme. It was on like what they were listening to that week. And I was like, oh no, it's over for me. I'm done with. And then it stopped three months later. And I was like, you know, as long as you keep consistent and you are in it for the right reasons, you will succeed. You know, if you're doing it because you really want to do it and people are finding value in it, that's great. So the next question, you can take one of two ways. I'd love either a story or an example, and maybe it's you and how you can kind of share how it's benefited of of a show that's really seen some benefit from getting exposure on a newsletter or you saw a particular show that worked really well. Or, you know, if there's not something there, what's the value? Is there any value out there for a podcaster to create their own newsletter? Oh, yeah. Those are two different questions, and I want to hit both of them for sure. Let's do it. So first, I want to go back to Tom Webster. So Tom Webster talked about how people mostly still get recommendations from word of mouth, right? And through podcast recommendations, and newsletters are a big part of that. And I talk about this all the time. It is because when you're receiving a podcast newsletter, you're primed to want to listen. As opposed to when you're scrolling through Twitter and somebody hits you with their link that you did not ask for, you're not going to listen to that podcast. There's a time and a place for self-promotion. When people are asking for podcast recommendations on a specific topic, amazing. If I go out and I post, I am looking for a podcast on the year that Lincoln was shot. What led up to it? Does anybody have any information on that specifically? Great. I would love history recommendations. I would love contextual history surrounding that year of American history. But I don't want people to randomly throw links at me about history in general. I ask for something specific. And I think there's this tendency to just be like, let me get my podcast out there in any way possible because you never know if somebody's going to want to listen to it. I can guarantee you not only am I not going to want to listen to it, it also pisses me off that you didn't listen and that you like disrespected my internet space. So anyway, when you're advertising on a podcast recommendation newsletter or a podcast newsletter, and I'll talk about the difference between the two, or you've been chosen to be included in a newsletter like that, you are already where people want to go to receive podcast recommendations. They are primed to then to look with a discerning eye and say, I'm interested in this, 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 and this. I'm going to type some of those into my podcast app of choice. I'm going to save some of them for later. Maybe I'll put it into a notes app. Maybe there should be a better way to do this. But I am ready to listen because I have opted into receiving this newsletter. So you want to be where people are primed to be listening. So it's podcast recommendation newsletters and in-app placement. Yeah. But let me get to your two questions now. Sorry. I'm a big believer in in-app placement. So we'll come back to that. But let's talk about the second one and creating, you know, creating your own newsletter. Did I I answer your first question? Because I know I went back to Tom Webster. I know. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yes. I think every, not every, I think if you are a podcaster who has the time and whose content lends itself to other formats, you should take advantage of those other formats. However, your format, your that content needs to be able to stand on its own. So say you're a podcast about beluga whales. 
is the example I always use. And you have a podcast. That's great. You're also a professor, maybe, about beluga whales or about marine biology in general, ocean conservation, all those keywords. You know a lot. And you want people to come to your website because you have a whole list of resources and information on beluga whales. Maybe you also get advertisers on your website. You also get advertisers on your podcast. You do a whole thing. So you really want people to, you know, be aware of you as a leader in the beluga whale space. That is awesome. If you have a newsletter that accompanies your podcast as a beluga whale enthusiast, your newsletter needs to be able to stand on its own. So it shouldn't just be, hi, everybody, new episode this week, click to listen. Because that's not enough. That's not enough for me to want to subscribe to your newsletter. I already get so many different newsletters. I don't need one that's just reminding me to listen to your podcast. If I'm also obsessed with beluga whales or I'm obsessed with the creator who talks about beluga whales, I want to know what else is going on in the world of beluga whales. I want to have a a highlight this week in beluga whale world. Here were some spottings. Here's a cool story. Here is X, Y, and Z. Like, Just give me more information that either I will hear on your podcast or that I won't. And here you're supplementing and giving me more. Same with Instagram. Your Instagram should not just be new episode out now. It should be beautiful drawings from your listeners who have gone and studied beluga whales as well. And maybe they've sent in some fan art. It should be, here's a news story and I screenshot it and here's my analysis of it. Same with Twitter. Twitter should not just be new episode out now, link, that's it. It should be engaging with other people who talk about marine conservation and marine biology. It should be talking to other people in similar topics, maybe other animals, other animal-related podcasts, but most importantly, non-podcasts. Interacting with people who are not just podcasters, because those people don't necessarily have time to listen to your show. They're already creating their own. So you want to be interacting with the people who are most likely to convert to become listeners. Yeah, this is a fire hydrant of great content and value. And um, I think it's really actionable. So what do we what did we want to circle back to? Yes. I think that was um, oh in app placement. I also said I would talk about the difference between a podcast newsletter and a podcast recommendation newsletter. It's pretty quick. It's just, um, you know, I would call James Cridlin's pod news a podcast newsletter. Sometimes it has recommendations, whereas find that pod is specifically a podcast recommendation newsletter. I think Every podcaster should be subscribed to all of the active podcast newsletters and podcast recommendation newsletters, not just because I want to support people who are creating these newsletters, but also because you should be aware of other podcasts that might pop up in your niche, not because you need to compete with them, but because you need to be aware of what they're doing. Maybe you like it, maybe you hate it, maybe you want to collaborate with them, but your podcast does not exist in a vacuum and you need to be aware of other podcasts that are going on. And most importantly, if the opportunity itself for you to pitch yourself, you want to know what the creator of that newsletter wants to hear or how they like to receive pitches. Hey, MYP fam, welcome back. And I hope you enjoyed that clip. This next clip is with Chris Doe, and it was from one of our best performing episodes, so I wanted to make sure that I got a clip in here. And Chris is someone who I've really looked up to from a creative perspective and someone who's really taken his craft as a graphic designer and been able to turn it into a, a personal brand, and he's, he's really done it in a way that's true and authentic to himself. So I really think that you'll enjoy a little bit of this conversation. So let's get into this next clip with Chris Doe. So I'd love for you to talk about what goes into a brand or, or when you think about, you know, creating one or starting one or looking at one, like what are some of the things that stand out or are important for you? I think if we're going to take a giant step back and talk about branding, branding is a person's gut feeling about a product, service or company. That's Marty Neumeier's definition. I love that definition very much. So, so it's a feeling and you can't control it, but you can influence the way that you influence somebody's perception of who you are is to show up consistently show up consistently, be clear about what it is that you do and follow up 
uh, what you say, the promises you make, so that you don't break your promises. And if you do this enough time and enough people come to that same gut feeling, you have a brand. And so when you're talking about cover art, you got this little square to work with for people to who are scrolling through thousands, literally now, I guess, millions of podcasts. What's going to tempt them to give you a shot? If they're scrolling through and they're browsing through the top 100, 200 podcasts on Apple's um, iTunes or whatever, why would they stop on yours? Is there something there that says that I'm different? Like when everyone's zigging, you want to zag. And so if everybody's using blue, use yellow. Use a different color so that you can stand out. And part of that is understanding what the market is doing and position yourself well against your respective competition. So if you're in the marketing space and you're going to talk about marketing, you should look at the top 100 uh, podcasts for marketing according to iTunes and see what everybody's thumbnail looks like. So this is just basic, I guess, opposition research because you need to wiggle your way in there somewhere to stand out. So if everybody's using very linear angular shapes, maybe use something curvilinear. Maybe use photography when everyone's using graphics or you go vice versa and you start to understand like I need to stand out. So before anybody can even get to know me, I need to be able to stand out so they get a chance to know me. And part of that too is that your personality. Where are you in the artwork? Where are you in the design of your, your, of your thumbnail? Like how do they know that's you? Is there a signature look? And that usually involves colors, typefaces, uh, any kind of image recipe that you apply. It could be that uh, every every person, every guest that's on your show has a scratchboard illustration made of them or, or a linoleum, linoleum cut or some kind of vectorized thing that you do. And so it becomes part of your image recipe. So people listen to one, they have a positive association with that one and they're, they're probably most likely not going to subscribe right away. But if they see it again, they're like, oh yeah, the last time that person did this, I wonder if their second podcast is good or the third or the fourth and the fifth and if you consistently show up delivering value staying true to what your promises are well they're going to say look i like this i want to join this community i want to join this creator in their pursuit of uh, their art and craft and so that's why excuse me that's why nailing some of your brand elements and components are is really important and looking at it relative to your competitors is it should inform the design decisions that you make. One thing I think you also do really well is, um, and I know you charge, you talk about, you know, you charge handsomely for it is the, is the strategy of it. Um, can you, to whatever extent you, you can, or if you can feel comfortable, um, share what goes into extracting a, a brand out of somebody. I think you do a great job of not dictating someone's brand, but actually, um, you know, kind of chiseling away to to find what's already in there. Can you talk about that process at all? Yeah. Before we can go forward to the future, we have to go back to the past. And so we have to kind of find out the origin story of the creators of, of the company and why they did this and beyond money, why they exist. And you can also approach it from doing a user-centric brand to understand who it is that we champion, whose lives are we trying to impact and improve, and so if you study uh, who a brand wants to attract and they and you can find a shared worldview, then you can start to understand them a little bit better, what makes them tick, what gets them up in the morning, what, what challenges they have during the day, what failure and success looks like for them. 
and then you design your brand to align with what their needs are. I, I like that approach. So when I'm doing brand strategy for a client, I'll ask them, who's your current customer right now? Who's your primary customer? Who's your outlier? And who's your growth customer? And by doing four customer profiles like that, we start to get a much clearer picture as to where they are, what matters to them, and where they'd like to be. We deliberately ask them to define an outlier customer so that we don't get confused as to, to totally target them because we're going to we're going to lose if we do. So that helps them to get clarity on, yes, we have some anecdotal data that this is our customer type, but if we go there, they only represent 8% of our market or what we're trying to do. But there's this growth customer, a customer we'd like to have more of, and they exist out here and we don't currently talk to them. So if you look at the upside to one versus the upside to the other, they can make clear business decisions, right? So if we look at your growth customer and build a user profile around them and do it not based on demographics, but more on psychographics, their beliefs and values, their preferences, their activities and hobbies and interests. If we build it around that, we start to get a lot clearer as to how we need to speak to them so that we can say, like, we are for you. Would you like to raise your hand and join this tribe of misfits or, or, or academics or whatever it is that is your brand? You know how to speak to them. You learn their language. Um, in, in his book, Superfans, um, as, uh, uh, Pat, Pat Flynn, uh, his, his book, Superfans, he talks about learning the lyrics, right? You want to speak the language that your audience speaks. So if they are, they're using a certain kind of slang or they speak very professionally, if you, if you learn to speak their language, you're going to more likely attract them to you. So that, that's kind of like the basic outline of what we try to do when we do brand strategy. So when we say uh, to our client, let's define who your customers are today. Who's your primary customer? The person who drives your business today, the reason why you're still in business. They're like, oh, we, we know this person. And we'll give this person like an archetype. We'll, we'll call this person uh, the, the yoga mom, right? And they say, okay, so we know the yoga mom. This is what the yoga mom wants. There's, so she's the one who's driving our business. And the outlier is like every once in a while, this other person comes in. Uh, let's just call this person the pet lover. And sometimes they get confused because all customers are good customers and we should try to do everything to everyone, right? No, we shouldn't. And the outlier customer is the one who infrequents uh, or, or is an infrequent patron, uh, patron of our business. They, they come in from time to time, but they're not really driving us. And oftentimes you can look at the outliers this, is whenever there's a new technology that's out there, there's the first movers, there's the uh, early adopters, the middle adopters, and there's the late adopters, and then there's the laggards. You can consider your outliers as your late adopter or your, or your laggards. Like they're there, but they're not really that passionate about what it is that you do. They're not really driving anything. And when you announce a new feature or you change anything about your company, they're the first ones to complain. They're the first ones to leave. They're not really that vested in your business or success. But when you look at a growth customer, this is really important. It's not a customer you have currently. You can survey your competition or you can just design a new customer type for you where you think your products and services are in great alignment with them. And then you build a service or business around them and you speak to them specifically. Peter Drucker, the godfather of business management, he's like, a business exists to create a customer. 
So that's the, that, that's the mindset. Like I'm trying to find a customer for what it is that we do. Who is this person? What do they do? What do they believe in? What are their pain points and challenges? And we try to find those people. Welcome back listeners. And I'm hoping that you are getting some value from these clips because I wanted to make sure that I found conversations that I thought were still gonna bring value to you today and especially heading into 2022 and beyond. And this next clip comes from an episode with Evo Terra, personal favorite of mine because he is someone who really gets me thinking about the future of the podcast industry. And a big goal that I have for this show is to keep you informed about where the podcast industry is going. And Evo is someone that I look to as being on the pulse of what's happening in the industry. The conversation that I had with him is fascinating. And I'd also really encourage you to go and follow Evo on Twitter because he is a fascinating follow and someone that can definitely help you build and grow your show. So enough of me, let's get into this next clip with Evo Terra. And what's interesting is that I, I would consider myself newer to, you know, I got into content creation, live streaming you know, in 2015, 2016, more specifically podcasting a little later in 2017, 2018. But for a lot of people, this is a new, it seems like a new thing, but I would imagine for you, it's, sure. it's not very new. I don't, I don't know if you would consider it old, but I'd love to know when you think about what's over those 700 shows over that time period, what's different and what's the same from when it started compared to now? Well, almost everything's different. I mean, the, the the tools and the technology that we utilize today in 2021 to put together a podcast, they bear resemblance to the same tools we were using back in 20, 2004, but a lot of them has changed drastically. And what the future really holds for the next change is it will totally revolutionize the way that it looks. You know, much like we don't assemble cars the way that Henry Ford assembled cars 100 years ago, there's still an assembly line. <laughs> they still have four wheels, but nonetheless, everything's changed. I think podcasting is the same way. But you ask what's the same, what's the Really the same is passionate people getting on mic and sharing their thoughts and ideas with the world. There's just more of them, like millions more of them than there ever were before, uh, which is great. So to me, all the, the things that make podcasting great are the, are the things that are the same, which is great content. But, you know, what's different is almost everything. And that's just going to continue to go in that direction. Yeah. I do love how excited and dynamic the industry is becoming. You know, a lot of people have hesitated to call it a renaissance. and But I do feel like there is a, a large shift in the industry whether it's even if it's just the energy or the amount of enthusiasm with regards to investments and partnerships and stuff like that. And so I'd imagine that a lot of the people that are listening to the show are early on in their journey. One thing that I think can be kind of challenging when listening to someone like you or Robert, we've had some people, you know, other people who have been in podcasting for decade plus, it can seem a little overwhelming or it can seem like they're late to the party or it can seem like, you know, like they've missed it. How do you coach or counsel people who are kind of getting into this game who do have a message to share. They do have something valuable to bring, but they feel like, you know, the industry is kind of passing by or they're late. What do you say to stuff like that? Well, the great thing about podcasting is we're in a digital medium. So it's literally an infinite number of shows that we can have. So I remind them that, you know, if you want to write a book, go ahead and write a book. You know, the, the time to write a book wasn't 300 years ago when Gutenberg invented the press. You know, it's there's still a market for people who buy books. And it's no different than that from podcasting. Are there a lot more shows now? Yeah, we're 4 million shows approximately as the time of this recording, which is like a lot. And does it make discovery harder? Uh, I suppose, you know, but no one stops making web pages. No one stops printing books or making eBooks these days. We can continue to do that. It's all about finding the right audience. So that's probably the, the one thing to remember is that this is infinite. We do, there's no limitation on the number of podcasts that's available. Similar to that, podcasting ha is having a resurgence right now, but this is by my count five 
five different resurgences podcasting has had since 2004, and everybody counts them slightly differently. So that's always going to happen every time. And right now, the, the, the surge is being brought on by one single company, it seems, Spotify, dumping huge quantities of cash into podcasting, and a lot of other big companies reacting to that big spend, which is great, but there'll be something next. And when, when this wave is over, it may take a few years or months or who knows, because time's being compressed these days, and there'll be another wave. So if you want to have a show, have a show. There's always going to be a market out there for it. And more people are entering the space all the time. That, that, that's the thing to remember. It's not just that there are 4 million more podcasts out there, but we're rapidly approaching the point where 100 million Americans, that's a third of the population, we're almost to where a third of the population listen to podcasts on a weekly basis. And that number is growing all the time. It's growing at the bottom end, the young people. It's also growing on the top end, the old people like me. Those numbers are skyrocketing big time. So more people are always coming into the space and they're hungry for more content. So just make great content and you'll be fine. Yeah. We talked with, um, she has a podcast that features Asian business owners. And one thing that she talked about was how the pandemic really shifted the listener. It just shifted their lifestyle. And all of a sudden mm. it pushed them into listening to more podcasts. Like you said, not only the younger people who were at home all day, but the older people were finding or were looking for ways to entertain themselves, you know, being at home. And so with all of the moving parts, what are some areas of opportunity or advantages that you think of right now compared to others? What are some advantages of getting in right now that maybe two or three years ago, someone might not have had the same, might not have been as easy or there may not have been as much attention? You know, I, th I think there's a lot of ways it can go with that. It's certainly podcast, the content creation process is much more streamlined than it was. There's a lot of success stories out there that you can follow where way back in the day, we really couldn't do that. We're finally at a point to where effectively everyone you meet will understand, well, they've heard of the word podcast before. They may not know exactly what it is, but they know. So no longer when you go into your boss and say, I want to have a podcast, they're not going to say, a, 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 a what? So that's good. The overall awareness is, is significantly increased. Also, I think that the process, there's a lot of things that get in people's way when they want to make a podcast and they get scared about a lot of things. And one of the things they get scared about is the technology. Well, the technology has gotten a whole lot simpler. Hardware, yes, but also in, in, in the software. You know, a lot of people still use the same basic digital recording tools they used back in 2004 and still today. And that works for them. But there's a new wave of people coming into podcasting right now who've never cracked open a DAW and have no idea what the hell a DAW, which is digital audio workstation, means. They're not looking at waveforms and editing. They're editing in text. And when they edit the text, that text is removed from the audio. And AI and machine learning tools are out to help clean up the sound and do a lot of the mixing and mastering that a lot of people really struggle when they work on it. So it's easier and it's always getting easier to make a podcast, but some of these tools are actually making it better, which is really what interests me. Yeah, better is, we talked before we hopped on about, I just got a new microphone set up and thankfully the uh, technology gods have allowed us to let it work. But one <laughs> of the big things in bettering your show or improving your podcast and download numbers and all those things is just improving the quality of your show. And, yeah. and it's interesting how you mentioned hardware and software are both doing that as well. Is there any, you don't have to, you don't have to, of course, because no one's getting paid here, but is there any softwares or tools or anything that you're specifically bullish on or that you enjoy? Uh, our last podcast that we actually just put out was on using transcripts to mm -hmm. kind of grow your show. And I think you mentioned cutting, you know, editing with the text. And that's something yeah. that one of the tools we talk about allows you to do. Is there any other things that you're particularly bullish on or that you think has made things easier or simpler or streamlined things for people? Well, 
I'm talking about the idea of bullish on technology. So yeah, did you talk about Descript when you were using we the, yeah, the we transcript? Did. Yeah, yeah. So just that 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 tool is going to revolutionize the way that people who don't know how to make audio files, and I've been making audio files since it was real to real tape. So you know, for some of us, we've got that. That's not a, a a big deal, but for others, it certainly is. But you know, it's not just the simple editing of the actual. And when people hear the word editing in podcasts, we tend to mean audio engineering. We tend to mean removing the ums and the ahs and the mistakes and whatever else. And, and that is a portion of editing, if you will, the audio editing, which I prefer to call audio engineering. But the thing about tools like Descript, and I'm not the only one that does this, is what they do from an editorial standpoint. My partner and I produced a podcast series for a really large company recently, and it was a an insane amount of work. And we did almost all of the work, the editorial work inside of Descript. We brought in every super long conversation either that we had or our clients had with people, got the automatic transcription was great, spent a little bit of time cleaning up some of the transcription. And then we really went to work on that text to build out the episodes highlight this, different color, copy this. And with the ability for that tool to say, okay, everything that you copied that's in that blue color, paste that into this document over here. And then we could go inside of that and split that text, that audio recording up and insert some text by you know, typing out the line. So we were able to actually read and create an entire editorial script flow from start to finish, all in paper, all, all on all in text, not really paper, right? It's, it's all on screen that we can share with our clients. So rather than them having to listen through hours and hours of tape, we had to listen to hours of tapes. Although we had to listen to a lot less of hours to tape because we were able to see the text. We were able to build a show that the client could simply sign off on and say, yeah, that sounds great. And and then make it sound great on the back end, obviously, as well. So, so that's an ability that not a lot of people are thinking about, right? We didn't have this before. You either knew how to storyboard or you went through hours and hours and hours of tape and you pasted things together and then sticky notes and whatever. But now we can do it all in one simple little interface, which makes it not only easier, but also ultimately better. Yeah. You've just given me a tons of new ways to use Descript. I had just gone on the basic part of it, but you're kind of throwing on this whole new editorial and planning aspect of it that really hadn't gotten into. What's interesting about that is the the way that narrative podcasts, and it seems like that might have been something that you guys were creating yep. or, or building, but, yes, we were. but the narrative format is really hard to do in an audio engineering, you know, interface, yeah. right? Just because all you're looking at is waveforms. But now all of a sudden, if you guys haven't gone and used a script, they probably should send us a check if they haven't. <laughs> I right? talk about them all the but, time. I don't, I don't get paid yeah, by them yeah, either. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is not, you know, we are not getting paid by them. But I want the show to be a place where you guys can get valuable tools and resources. And I've fallen in love with it too. So it's just interesting that you've done it as well. Yeah. But if someone is planning a narrative show or they need to plan out intros, outros, those types of things, um, being able to do it without necessarily having to look at the audio form and having the text there, I think it's just a really great point that you, yeah, that you bring up. It is. What's What else? We got a few more minutes here. And, and guys, I appreciate you guys jumping in. It looks like we have a, a few people watching live on LinkedIn. I'd love to know what you're excited about when it comes to podcasting, whether it's tech or it's software or hardware or conferences. I don't know. You can kind of take it wherever you want, but you seem to do, or I know that you do, a lot of reflecting on the future of this industry. So what, what are you most excited about right now? Well, you mentioned conferences and I'm haven't seen other podcasters in the flesh in a long time. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to doing that. I'm doing a limited amount of that this year, but next year I'm, I'm all in, right? I'm going to, I'm going to go to every single conference I possibly can blow my entire travel budget, which I didn't use for the last three years, <laughs> all up probably in one year. So that's exciting. All right. Welcome back fam. And this last clip actually comes from one of our first episodes and that is with Halataha. And Hall had been doing some great things before we ran this interview. 
But since then, she has really taken off, and it's obviously because of her appearance on the show. Obviously, I'm kidding. But I thought that it was important to share some of the things that she shared because she just gave some really raw and valuable advice. And so this last clip is from our second episode, episode number two, and that was with Hala Talk. Those those connections are, are so important, especially for podcasts, because you know one of my f- philosophies and one of the things that I try and stress to you know our listeners is the the importance of creating a platform, not just a podcast, and and the importance of not just treating it like an, an audio show that you know shows up on you know Apple and Spotify, but really creating a, a brand that goes from podcasts and, you know, lives on LinkedIn and, you know, Instagram and all these different places. And I think you've done a great job of that. Why is that such a big part of your strategy of, you know, utilizing specifically, you talked about LinkedIn, but I know, you know, you utilize and leverage some other platforms, Clubhouse and some, you know, some newer things, but you seem to pull people to your, your podcast, you know, you go out and, and, you know, that's, that's something that I think we try and help people understand is you kind of got to pull people to your podcast because it's yeah. hard to do that within the app. What's that like for you and, and what, how does, you know, how can people do that at a, at a higher level? Yeah. So first of all, I just want to call one thing out. You keep mentioning Apple and Spotify, something that I truly believe in. And I think was a game changer for me is when I stopped caring about Apple my whole time. I was, I've been doing podcasting for almost two and a half years. The minute I stopped caring about Apple. I was always so concerned. I'm not, I'm not ranking high enough on Apple. My download, please leave me Apple reviews. Please listen on Apple, right? The truth of the matter is that people don't listen on Apple anymore. That is not the case. Unless you were a, a, a podcast listener from eight years ago, most likely you're not listening on Apple as a new listener. And so that is the hard truth. So I would push Apple and people would say, I have an Android. I would push Apple and people would say, I want to watch on YouTube, right? Then I started thinking about, okay, nobody is listening on Apple. This is upstream. I'm not getting downstream momentum. It seems like I didn't get new and noteworthy. And so it just seems like I'm just swimming and swimming and drowning and drowning, trying to make it on Apple because that's what everybody wants to brag about. I'm top 10 on Apple or whatever it is. The minute I decided that that didn't matter anymore is when my podcast blew up. And when I started going from 4,000 downloads a month to like 10,000 downloads a day, right? And so once I made that change, Everything was a game changer. So CastBox, Overcast, Podcast Republic, Podbean. I'm huge on those platforms now because I strategically made a decision. If Apple is not going to showcase me, I don't care. I'm going to make it no matter what. I will go around them. Literally, my Apple feed like takes forever to refresh. Apple has terrible analytics. It just sucks. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to let Apple dictate if I'm going to be successful or not. And so I just went around them. And that's when everything just blew up for me. I'm on the cover of Podcast Magazine this month. You know, so it's like everything changed changed once I once I switched that mentality and I realized that it's not just about Apple. So that's first off. You're totally right in terms of no one's going to find you in the app unless you have a keyword in your name. I have a friend his name is Brian Ford. He's got a, a podcast called Self-Improvement Daily. It's 2-minute daily episodes. Because he's got self-improvement in his name because he does daily episodes his podcast gets millions of downloads and he's huge and he has zero social media following. But he did something disruptive 
He has daily two-minute episodes. Nobody does that. He also, you know, has self-improvement in his name. And so it's very, it's, it's, it's very accessible. It's not about him. It's not the Brian Ford show. Nobody cares about Brian Ford. You know, the people probably don't even know his name. They just like listening to the podcast. So it's like, unless you have a very, you know, disruptive strategy like that, you're probably not going to make it just being found in the podcast apps. It's probably not going to happen for you. So you need to think about, First of all, how do you build a community outside of your podcast where you can gain some expertise, some notoriety so that you can, like Hector mentioned, pull people into your podcast instead of, you know, just expecting them to find you. And when I think about the visibility of my podcast on LinkedIn, I have 70,000 followers. I betcha only a small percentage of them are actually podcast listeners, but my brand has exploded. Everybody thinks, you know, before my podcast had a lot of downloads, everybody thought I was a huge podcaster because my brand was so big on LinkedIn. It's only the past six months that I had like impressive downloads. You know, before that, it was like, like I said, it was a constant struggle and I, I felt like I was drowning and I felt like I was this huge name on LinkedIn and had this big brand, but nobody was listening, right? And so I think it's 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 about uh, having a brand presence and then realizing that you've really got to work hard. It's a long game and you definitely have to be where the podcast listeners are. And so the last thing I'll say is just to reiterate this, although my brand is huge on LinkedIn, I don't think that my listeners have been coming really from LinkedIn. Now my listeners come outside of LinkedIn and that's because you need to market where the podcaster listeners are. So on the podcast apps themselves, and that means guesting on other shows. That means having commercials on other shows. Those are the two ways that you're going to do that so that you get exposure to people who are listening to podcasts. The average podcaster listener is uh, listening to like seven different shows. So you want to be one of those seven shows in their rotation. And how do you do that? By guesting on podcasts and by advertising on podcasts. So those are the tips I can give there. That's uh, once again, so affirming because Apple, I've I've never said it so eloquently, nor have nor do I have I felt so strongly, but um, I've, I felt similarly that people put Apple on a pedestal when it um, it's really, you know, it shouldn't be. And, and there's, they have their own, their own game to play and they have their own uh, intentions and an own interests to be able to uh, market to. And so, like you said, going around them is, uh, is huge. Um, yeah. How we talked about some of like the timeless things. I think like no matter when someone listens to this show, right, you're going to be one of our first episodes, you know, someone listens to this in 2026 or 2035. I mean, these, some of these, these tips that you mentioned and strategies are, are really timeless, but I would uh, like you to talk a little bit about what's, what's coming up. I know you've, you've kind of done some stuff on, on Clubhouse, if I'm not mistaken, but um, you know, when you look ahead to some of the cool, shiny things that you're excited about. What uh, what opportunities do you think are out there for podcasts and podcast hosts? So I, I think cl- you hit the nail on the head with Clubhouse. I am like doubling. I literally think I quit my job because of Clubhouse. Like that was like the, the thing that really pushed me over. I was like, I need more time for Clubhouse. I can't do this anymore <laughs> because it's like that is where it's at right now. And people, it's it's so affirming. I know you love this word affirming, right? It's so affirming to me that people love Clubhouse because it's an audio only channel. And it just goes to show how much people love to just listen to content. It is such like a natural thing for humans to just love listening to others. It's like sitting around the fire, you know, when we were cavemen, like that's what it feels like. And so people feel really connected on that platform. And it's a way for me to get really close with my listeners. So what I'm doing, 
doing is I'm hosting a weekly clubhouse series now, and I'm going to invite people who have already been on Young and Profiting podcasts, like all these different CEOs and billionaires and bestselling authors, invite them to like this mastermind where basically I have like a guided conversation with them and then uh, invite people to ask questions live and I'm going to try to record it. So um, with Clubhouse, you have to let everybody know that it's going to be recorded. So I have to do it in a specific way. And it's not going to sound like the most perfect audio, but I think it's a great opportunity to get more content that I can then upload to my channels on demand. And so I love the live element of it. I love the engagement of it. I really can just get super close with people. And I do think it's going to change the podcast landscape. And I don't want to be left behind when, you know, podcasting may die because of Clubhouse. Like I do see it as a threat honestly, and I don't want to be left behind. So I want to make sure that my brand is super visible on Clubhouse and that, you know, we've got our best foot forward in case, you know, it really disrupts the podcasting landscape. I also think that Clubhouse could end up turning into some sort of on-demand content as well and feature live content as well as become like a podcast platform in the future. So it could be like a good synergy um, there. But Yes, I totally agree with Clubhouse. The other thing is is YouTube. So I'm really getting into, I just broke like a thousand followers, which isn't a lot, but you know, your first thousand followers on YouTube is pretty tough. And I really only started, you know, a few months back. And uh, YouTube is something I'm doubling down on, but it's expensive. It's time consuming. It's so much work. And then I look at Clubhouse and I'm like, oh my God, I can just randomly hop on and, and start a room with 500 people. Like, where do I want to spend my time? I'm leaning towards Clubhouse. I love it. This is been a, a fantastic conversation, guys. And and um, the, the the podcast is Young and Profiting. The, the website is youngandprofiting.com. It's uh, Hala Taha on LinkedIn and... Um, you know, she mentioned all those other places. So I'd encourage you guys to go get connected. And um, we got about uh, maybe 30 seconds left on the recording here, Holla. Anything that you want to leave the, the listeners with? I would love for you guys to check out Young and Profiting Podcast. And if you're on Clubhouse, follow me, Holla Taha. I'm on Instagram, Yap with Holla. And LinkedIn, you can search for my name. It's Holla Taha. You guys heard it. Thanks, Hector. Thank you so much. And we'll see you on the next MYP show. Welcome back and thanks for sticking around, fam. I appreciate you being here and I appreciate you being part of the MYP fam. I am recording this episode on December 30th and uh, I'm a little nasally, so I apologize if I sound like I'm sick. I I am or I'm fighting something off. I'm, I'm getting healthier. And again, I'm just filled with such immense gratitude for you being here no matter when you are here uh, and you are listening to this being a part of this family. It just makes me so excited that we can all be nerdy and geek out about growing our podcast. So thanks for being a part of the MYP fam. And I can't wait to see what you accomplish 2022. Happy New Year. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Marketing Your Podcast Show. If you enjoyed this interview, we'd encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other episodes with some fantastic guests. If you have any questions, we encourage you to go and find me on LinkedIn. And if you want more podcast resources, go to www.amplifymedia.com. That's A-M-P-L-A-F-Y media.com for more podcast marketing resources. We hope you're having an amazing day and we can't wait to host you on the next episode of the Marketing Your Podcast Show.